0: Welcome to Healthcare Unfiltered, a Shadi Nabhan podcast. I am your host, Shadi Nabhan. I'm a hematologist and medical oncologist, and I have interest in all aspects of healthcare delivery, treatment, leadership, mentorship, and policy. You are listening to Healthcare Unfiltered. Previously, I hosted Outspoken Oncology, but we've shifted to a new podcast since October 2020. Where we talk about all aspects of healthcare, not just oncology, although today's podcast is related to oncology. There has been a lot about lung cancer screening, positive and negative. Should smokers undergo lung cancer screening with low-dose CT scans, or should they not? What, are, what is the potential harm of undergoing screening? What are the potential benefits what are the endpoints that we are looking at? Should the screening test reduce overall mortality, or should it reduce disease specific mortality, and in this situation, lung cancer specific mortality? Why yes and why not? The first lung cancer screening study that showed a positive impact on overall mortality and on lung cancer mortality was almost a decade ago. There was another study that was published, I think a year ago or so, that did not show overall survival uh, reduction in overall mortality. And recently guidelines were published in JAMA Oncology that were updated as to who should undergo lung cancer screening or not. And if you follow social media like I do, there was a lot of controversy about these guidelines. Some folks said, well, these are great. And others said, these were nonsense and as you know, on Healthcare Unfiltered, we need to make sure we bring everything to you so we understand the truth about lung cancer screening. And for that, I have invited two phenomenal thoracic oncologists, Drs. Charu Agrawal from the University of Pennsylvania and Leisha Sequist from Mass General Hospital, Harvard Medical School. The task that we have on today's podcast is to discuss lung cancer screening. Why should we even have screening as a question? What are the trials that did lung cancer screening and what did they show? What are the positives and the negatives of these trials? Let's talk about some of the myths in terms of the potential morbidity of screening tests and so forth. All of these things we are going to discuss on today's podcast. I think it's timely, I think it's important, and I hope you will enjoy listening to this podcast as much as I enjoyed taping it. Before I air the podcast, I would like to plug the show. You can find Healthcare Unfiltered on all podcast outlets. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, all podcast outlets. Wherever you consume your podcasts, you will find Healthcare Unfiltered. And look, it is indeed unfiltered. No editing ever happens on Healthcare Unfiltered. You literally hear everything that takes place on these episodes. What more can you ask for? Also, I would like to ask you to subscribe to the show, rate the show, give healthy or unfiltered the number of stars that it deserves. Write a brief review if you have the time and refer a friend or a colleague, if at all possible. Suggest a couple of episodes to your friends based on the topics that you know they would be interested in. Without further ado, the phenomenal, Doctors Leisha Sequest and Charu Agrawal talking all things lung cancer screening Exclusively on Healthcare Unfiltered. All right, well, I am excited to host two dear, wonderful colleagues and um, just uh, uh, amazing thought leaders and gurus in the field of thoracic oncology. Uh, Drs. Alicia Sequest and Sharu uh, Agrawal, uh, they will introduce themselves in a little bit. And the three of us are going to talk about lung cancer screening. Uh, well, they're going to do more of the talking. I'll be uh, doing more of the questioning and just trying to um, have some provocative questions. Uh, If I can. But uh, really, the the reason to do this is there's a lot going on about lung cancer screening, especially with the recent publication came in, uh, in terms of guidelines and and so forth. So we're going to try to hopefully help the uh, listeners understand this field. So we'll start with a quick introduction. And we'll start with you, uh, Dr. Alicia Sequist.
1: Thank you, Shadi. It's such a wonderful uh, honor to be here with uh, two of my friends and talking about a topic that I'm very interested in. So uh, I'm a medical oncologist uh, specializing in lung cancer at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston, Mass. And uh, I have a special interest uh, in research in uh, lung cancer screening and early detection and uh, run a, a, a Center for Innovation in Early Cancer Detection at MGH.
0: And Dr. Charu Agrawal.
1: Hi, this is uh, really an honor to be
2: here. I'm thrilled to you know join Dr. Sequist and you, uh, Dr. Naban on this uh, podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am a thoracic medical oncologist at the University of Pennsylvania's Abramson Cancer Center, and very uh, focused on the treatment of lung cancers. But you know, I think if we have to make an improvement uh, in outcomes, we also have to really focus our attention on early detection and screening. So I'm thrilled to be having this discussion.
0: And Sharu, you, you host your own podcast as well. So we need to give a plug to you. What what, what That's like beyond the journal.
2: Yes. So we have a podcast, uh, Dr. Jack West and I, on uh, issues that range from social media to digital education, telemedicine. And uh, really, it's supposed to go uh, and focus on issues that are beyond what we will read in a journal, but affect all of us on a daily basis, uh, especially in oncology, but also more so in medicine.
0: We don't listen to that podcast because of Jack West. let's just I mean let, I mean, frankly the, the, you know, I mean let's just uh, let's be real here, okay. I mean, Jack, if you're listening, I hope you know that the reason we tune in for that podcast is Cheru. All right. So let's start by first of all, why should we even? do lung cancer screening? I mean, Lisha, why is this topic even important to look at something screening a healthy population that is not really sick or symptomatic for a disease such as lung cancer? Well,
1: that's a great question. I think in general, the idea of cancer screening is to try and find cancers at the earliest stage when they may have the highest chance for cure. And certainly if we wait for people to present to uh, uh, medical attention with lung cancer, the vast majority of them have advanced stage. And most of the early stage cancers that we find Uh, prior to the screening era were found by accident that patient was getting a chest x-ray before having some sort of uh, surgical procedure and lo and behold there's there's a tumor so uh, the hope of of lung cancer screening was um, to give a better survival for patients diagnosed with the disease to to decrease deaths from lung cancer Uh, but you know there there was a lot of skepticism about whether this could work because of uh large studies, well done studies done in the 1970s and 80s that suggested that lung cancer screening did not work in terms of improving survival uh, or even improving cancer specific mortality. They these older studies were using older techniques, chest x-ray, sputum cytology, uh, but a lot of a lot of us went to medical school and learned that screening does not work for lung cancer.
0: So then, Cheru, what happened that um, suddenly, I don't know, a decade or so ago, something popped up in one of the medical journals that screening might work?
2: Yeah, so I think as as Leisha points out, you know, I think we grew up. Knowing that yes, you can screen for breast cancer and colorectal cancer, and you know you should do a PSA or a di- digital rectal exam for prostate cancer, but we r- really never said, "Oh, go ahead and do your chest X-rays," because it wasn't shown to really reduce mortality. Uh, but then came came along the NLST trial, which had sufficient power to answer this question of, can we? you know, reduce mortality in patients who may be at higher risk to develop lung cancer. So this was a really large study conducted amongst uh, more than 50,000 participants that were between the ages of 55 and 80 years who were either current or former smokers as defined by a pack year history of 30 years and i think that's important as we just delve, delve into a little bit later in the show with regards to what the current recommendations are and you know these patients were um you know followed with low dose ct scan and i just want to put a plug in that low-dose CT scan is not what we traditionally think about a regular CAT scan. I mean, these scans are really quick. You know, sometimes they can be done in less than a minute. Um, And, you know, the patients that were randomized to these uh, low-dose CT scans, Uh, You know, there was higher detection of these lung nodules, but there was also a 20% reduction in mortality seen on that trial. So not only were we detecting cancers earlier, I think that's been one of the arguments. So what if you detect something earlier? I think the bigger thing is that we were seeing uh, an improvement in survival or a reduction in mortality. I think that's what really changed the way we thought about lung cancer screening and this is now what 10 years ago and um, you know now we have more data to support lung cancer screening.
0: So this was overall mortality the original study from a decade ago?
2: Correct okay. or it was actually a reduction in lung cancer related mortality.
0: So, it, so there was no reduction in overall mortality Alicia?
1: The study actually showed both. So it kind of checked both boxes. So the 20%, just as Char said, is for the lung cancer mortality reduction. But there was also uh, about a 7% reduction in in all-cause mortality, which, uh, you know, for the, the academic epidemiologists that teach about screening and teach about the different kinds of bias that can be introduced with screening, I mean, that is the gold standard to show... Uh, a reduction in all-cause mortality. And so low-dose CT hit that mark.
0: And that was the original study uh, a decade ago. Just on this study, a little bit more, Leisha, the, the patients that were included, tell us just about who these patients are, because essentially, right, it matters the, uh, the criteria of these patients if we're going to apply the uh, screening methodology to the larger population outside of the clinical trial.
1: Yeah, that's a very good point. Unlike some other uh, screening tests like mammogram, which uh, you know all women of a certain age should be, uh, have a mammogram and, and colonoscopy, it's also kind of all people by, by certain age. Uh, lung cancer screening has really been shown to be beneficial among smokers. So uh, the NLST trial looked at heavy smokers, uh, uh, people that had a 30 pack year or more history of smoking. So uh, pack year is just uh, uh, you know one pack per day for an entire year. So a 30 pack per day smoke, a 30 uh, pack year smoker would have smoked one pack a day for 30 years. Um, so uh, or two packs a day for 15 years, you know, something like that. So you had to be a 30 pack year history uh, uh, smoker, and also you had to be 55 years old uh, up to up to 75 and uh, had to have also quit uh, either be currently smoking or quit within 15 years. So someone who had who had smoked in their uh, young adult years but had quit, you know, 40 years ago wouldn't qualify either.
0: So Charu, you know, you know, I'm a skeptical guy, right? I mean, you know that about me but but it's like it seems like the, the age limit kind of weird I, again i'm not a thoracic oncologist so i maybe there's something missing but i mean people i mean i think if we believe that screening helps why stop at the age of lisha you said 75 right they stop at 75 yes but like, is there was there they just have to stop because of funding i mean that's fair they may say we can't really keep screening forever. That's one question. The second question, and if that's my memory serves me right, I should have read the paper before this podcast, but I think they screened three times. They did three annual CTs. Is there anything to suggest if you do three and they're negative, the chances of you having a fourth positive one are negligible?
2: You know, I think uh, there is a lot of debate about, you know, what do we find on these CT scans and how should they be appropriately followed? And I think one of the criticisms of these... um, screening trials has been, you know, they, they create anxiety and they create unnecessary follow-up. And, you know, now we have to create all these nodule clinics. So I think if there is a real finding, it deserves follow-up. And I think that's how it's being handled practically, that, you know, we won't necessarily just abort follow-up at year three, because that's how the study was defined. I think if it's a finding that deserves medical attention, it, it deserves to be
1: followed. And I think some of the reasons why the study was designed the way it was, I mean, I will say I'm not part of the study. I wasn't sitting around the table when they were having these discussions. But this, this was a tremendous uh, investment by the NCI. Uh, it was over 50,000 patients. Uh, and so to fund uh, the follow-up and the organization of three annual scans on on that size of a population was a tremendous uh, investment. And I I think, um, you know, we've seen in some subsequent trials, suggestions that the longer you screen, the more beneficial it becomes. So I I don't think that anyone thought that doing a baseline and then two follow-ups was good enough. And certainly the intention of lung cancer screening isn't just to do three scans and stop. It really is supposed to be a longitudinal program. But, you know, at some point you have to establish the, uh, you know, the evidence base and, and then you build from there.
0: Okay, so so the trial was three annual CTs, but what you're seeing that people did not necessarily adhere to the three annual CTs and they did more after that.
2: Now, I think if if your three annual CDs are completely stone cold negative, I think before the new version of the US uh, Preventive Services task, task Force guidelines came up, I think if they were negative, and I think Lisha, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we could justify continuing with it, especially if they had stopped smoking within that 15 year prior to beginning the screening.
1: Yeah, I would I would disagree. I think um The way, at least the way we were implementing it and interpreting the data uh, at our hospital, even before this most recent update was that you should get annual screen if you're within those age ranges. You're right, the smoking quit date does complicate things. So sometimes people fall out of eligibility because their quit date is farther and farther in the rearview mirror. But if someone's currently smoking, for example, they should continue to get screened beyond the three years. I I think that the, the data suggests that the value is even greater uh, the longer you continue to screen. Okay, so
0: that was one trial. Was there any other studies aside from this one that showed a positive impact for screening?
2: So I think we also saw the Nelson trial that actually is a little bit more recent than the NLST trial that we looked at. Um, And this was a trial that was, um, again, conducted in smokers aged between 50 and 74. And um, this trial enrolled slightly less number of patients, so not 50,000, but about Fifteen thousand patients, and again randomized to uh, a low dose CT scan or to no screening. I think one of the th- unique things about this trial is that you know predominantly uh, male pa- male patients or male participants were enrolled onto this, and. Despite that, I think there was um, a trend for a survival benefit, both in men and women, perhaps slightly higher in women, really making the case to, to say that screening should be applicable to, to everyone.
0: Lisha, any comments on the Nelson trial? Uh, so this trial showed reduction in also overall mortality and lung cancer mortality?
1: So, Nelson was a much smaller trial, and the design was actually changed a couple times during the course of the study, which has, you know, raised some red flags in people's mind, uh, but um, it, it, it did not show an overall uh, survival or an all-cause mortality benefit. It, it didn't really have the power to show, uh, you know, if we think what the NLST showed was the ultimate truth, that there's about a 7% overall survival uh, advantage for screening, you know, it wasn't powered for that. It only had about fifteen thousand patients, so um, I don't think it's fair to say that it didn't meet that mark. When there's really no statistical way it could have met that mark, but it, even with all the flaws, what,
0: what, what was its endpoint? This one, uh, the the uh, Nelson
1: lung cancer specific mortality, so it met its its uh, stated endpoint. Uh, it was highly, uh, highly statistically positive and uh and and the the results were in line with what we saw in nlst you know they it was all consistent
0: okay so it met it met it met the endpoint that was designed for which is lung cancer mortality uh it wasn't designed statistically to show reduction in overall mortality so the lack of finding as such should not be taken as a negative is that what i'm hearing
1: Yes, but uh, certainly the skeptics have really focused on that point that you can't uh, call a trial positive uh, if it's a screening trial and it doesn't show an all-cause mortality benefit. It's just, it's the same argument that we see with adjuvant therapy in in cancer. You know, can you can you adopt an adjuvant therapy if it only has a disease-free survival benefit? You need the overall survival benefit.
0: Right. Uh, and I'm gonna go into that endpoint. I do think that's really a fun discussion because I, I think it's an important point, but any other study, that, I wanna make sure we cover all of the study, any other study that looked at lung cancer screening and what was positive, aside from Nelson and the other one?
1: NLST and Nelson are the two biggest trials. Uh, there have been a number of smaller trials, mostly done in Europe. Uh, uh, two of the trials were combined, the mild trial, and the Dante trial uh, realized that they were both too small to have a chance at showing anything. And so they kind of combined the data and did a joint analysis. And that joint analysis was positive. Uh, but then you know, you're combining two totally separate trials into one. The two biggest uh, and clearly positive trials are the NLST and Nelson.
0: So Charu, then there there were guidelines that came out um, in one of the JAMA journals just uh, several weeks ago. Um, Maybe tell us about these guidelines that came out, because frankly, there was so much chatter when the guidelines came out. That's why I invited both of you on the podcast. But let's talk about the guidelines, and then we'll go over endpoints.
2: Sure. So I think it's important for us to know what the guidelines were before the JAMA oncology paper um, and what the guidelines are as they stand today. So earlier, screening was recommended for uh, individuals between the age of 55 to 80 years, and they had to have a smoking history that included 30 pack years. Um, either you know, two packs a day for 15 years, as Leisha explained earlier, or one pack a day for <clears throat> 30 years. And um, the new recommendations um, have changed the criteria two ways. One is that instead of the beginning age being 55, it's now 50 years. So anybody between the age of 50 to 80 should should get screened. And the second way that it's been changed is that the 30-pack years has been reduced to 20-pack years of smoking. I think one of the things that stayed constant is that the have quit date is still uh, within the past 15 years, and currently, um, you know, basically they say annual CT scans. You know, they're not saying stop at any time. They're just saying, you know, either base your decision to reduce that interval based on what you find, or you just continue annually. Uh, I think these are the three main differences. Um, Between what they were and what they are now, and of course has generated controversy. But Lisha, am I missing something?
1: No, I think you have that exactly right. And I think this is a fantastic um, advance and this has been endorsed by the US Preventative Services Task Force. So uh, you know, that's kind of the big guru when it comes to screening recommendations.
0: Okay. So Let's talk about. So, these are the recommendations. We went over the trials and the recommendations currently. But I I do think discussing the endpoint is important. Um, Because I think, I think, I think, Lisha, in the adjuvant trials, in all fairness, these are patients who have cancer. Yes, they have undergone. Um, you know surgery or whatever it is, definitive therapy, but they essentially did have a form of cancer and then you know you you could imagine that maybe the the um, standards may be a little bit different than somebody who has zero cancer. They just you know walking around, they happen just to have smoked. So what is the proper endpoint when you're screening a healthy patient population? I mean, yes, uh, they smoked and, and, and so forth, but but they have no evidence of cancer. Shouldn't it be overall survival or reduction in overall mortality?
1: We're not proposing to start treating them with chemotherapy or adjuvant or immune therapy. We're proposing to have them uh, go through a scan that doesn't involve an IV, no contrast. Like Charles said, it often takes like a minute, minute and a half. Uh, so it's, it's, I mean, I don't know that you can compare it to getting adjuvant treatment um, in that regard. So I think what you're really asking, you know, is what, what, is, what are the risks of, of uh, screening? You know, what are the downside? Are, are we taking healthy people and making them potentially unhealthy?
0: Right, right. So let's talk about, I mean, I wanna talk about when you look at a screening trial, first of all, is the endpoint should the end point be lung cancer specific, mor- reduction in lung cancer specific mortality or reduction in overall mortality what is the proper endpoint when you design a trial like this
2: i think it should be both right i mean if we had the ideal situation, uh, I think it should be both. Uh, and we would think that one would lead to the other. So a reduction in lung cancer mortality would overall lead to a reduction in mortality in general, because, you know, you're resecting a stage one lung cancer and preventing stage four lung cancer from occurring. But as Leisha has pointed out earlier, I mean, there limited resources. And I think, it, you know, even the guidelines really state this out, that this really becomes um, a discussion that needs to be had with the patients about risk-benefit. Because, you know, for us as providers who treat stage four lung cancer, the risk of, of low-dose CT scans seems so minimal, but to patients it might not. So I think a clear discussion needs to be had regarding the risks that may be involved, recognizing that we may not have every single trial give us an overall mortality benefit here.
1: And I think that there is, uh, I I think you're right, exactly, that the answer is both. And and you do want a screening technology to show an overall survival advantage. And that is why, you know, I think prostate cancer screening with PSA eventually fell out of favor is because it, it couldn't show that with tens of thousands of men being screened, it, it couldn't show that. But here, low CT did show it in the largest randomized trial with 50,000 patients. Uh, it, it showed a quite significant uh, and, and meaningful improvement in uh, all-cause mortality. And so I think that has already been answered. The fact that a second trial, which was much smaller and couldn't be powered to meet that endpoint. Didn't also meet that endpoint. Doesn't bother me because the larger, properly powered study already showed it.
0: I think the you know the people often argue. I mean, the reason there's arguments, as you could imagine, and I'm sure you you would agree that we don't want to subject um, an individual to an unnecessary invasive procedure that could carry some morbidity and so forth. So the the. What people fear is the detection of clinically insignificant pulmonary nodules, and then you end up chasing those, and you could do a biopsy, and you go down the rabbit hole of a pneumothorax, and I mean, you know, you could imagine a whole array of things that could happen. So how do we balance this, the risks versus benefits, Leisha first, and then Sharu.
1: So there's been some really important advances in the field in that, in that regard. So when you look at the NLST paper, which is now 10 years old, so the, the study was done you know, 15 years ago, um, they called any nodule of four millimeters in size or greater positive. That, that's very, very small. And so when, when people use the NLST original paper to quote the false positive rates, they They're using that that number. So two things have uh, two things to really emphasize. One is that the American College of radiology, which governs all the radiologists uh, in the US, who are performing lung cancer screening, uh, they have a new system that is an update from the NLST called lung RADS. That's the scoring system that is a standard report that comes out when you get a low dose CT and you get a lung RADS score, one, two, three, four. It, it kind of falls in, uh, in line with the bi score that they give mammograms. So all these screening radiology tests are having a similar reporting system. So radiologists can be very comfortable with it. Uh, so the lung RADS scoring system that has been developed uses a different cutoff of six millimeter, six millimeters as the smallest nodule that could be called worrisome. And so that actually takes out just in, in and of itself a, a number of the very smallest, least likely to be cancerous nodules. But then the second concept that I think is really important is that having a nodule detected on CT scan does not mean you're going to get a biopsy the next day. The most common thing that these tiny nodules are recommended, uh, the patients with the tiny nodules are recommended to do is to get another scan to take a look. And and biopsy usually isn't recommended. Uh, so the patient doesn't have an actual risk of a, a complication until uh, the nodule is clearly growing or if it's, you know, larger when it's first detected uh, or more worrisome features. So just because there's a positive finding on the scan, you can't equate that with uh, 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 the patients who are put in harm's way. You have to look at the the, the much smaller population of patients who are actually recommended for biopsy. And among the patients recommended for biopsy, then the negative outcomes in, patients who don't ultimately have cancer is quite low. There's not a lot of...
0: That was going to be my question. Do we know, I mean, can we quantify the percent of um, adverse events that are related to uh, the CAT scans, whether it is, number one, usually what you hear from the general public is radiation exposure. So even if it's zero, I'd like to clarify that, but people do talk about it. A number two is the unnecessary biopsies um, that might lead to complications. Do we have any quantification of that, Sharu?
2: Yeah, so I think, you know, there was actually a lot of data shared in the JAMA Oncology. I wanna call it the JAMA Oncology, really the, the whole collection that looked at this updated lung cancer screening guideline. And they talked exactly about this, right? So what are the risks? The first risk is, oh, patients or individuals are getting exposed to radiation. When they look at the risk of radiation-induced cancers in these patients who actually undergo low-dose CT scan screenings, they estimate that over time, one radiation-induced lung cancer death uh, for every 13 lung cancer deaths was averted by lung cancer screening. So, you know, I think, yes, there is radiation exposure, but is that radiation exposure really harmful when you, you know, really weigh that against the benefits of, a, of avoiding a lung cancer death? I think that's something that we should really look at. And then the second thing is, you know, there is this big, big deal made about, the risks from biopsies, um, and, you know, as Leisha pointed out, not every patient gets a biopsy with a six millimeter nodule or even a four millimeter nodule finding, but let's say even if they did, uh, you know, the complications from biopsies have been reported at less than 1% of screened individuals. They vary across studies, but they also depend on where and how these biopsies are being performed but overall we know that you know the complications from these biopsies are rare you know our radiologists are very thoughtful in terms of really not going in to do a biopsy unless and until uh, a an nodule meets a certain size and solid criteria, right? They would not go after a nodule which is predominantly ground glass and has a very small solid component. And, you know, there are so many discussions that we have in our, even in our multidisciplinary oncology tumor boards where we discuss nodules in our patients who may have lung cancer. So I would just say that, you know, yes, these risks are real, but perhaps don't really outweigh the benefits.
0: You know, the the one thing I would say though, and Lisha, please comment on that is, I mean, you both work at large academic centers, NCI designated with a lot of resources. So obviously the expertise may not be scalable or generalizable to the general community. So um, in other words, you could present that uh, CAT scan at a tumor board where everybody feels comfortable watching, but that not may happen in the smaller community hospital or practice that don't have the same expertise. So I, I don't know, feel free to comment on that, Lisha.
1: Yeah, you bring up a good program, a a good uh, point, which is that lung cancer screening is is really a program. It's not a test. It's not, you know, a blood test that you send off to a lab and it comes back positive or negative. There's a lot of interpretation and expertise that goes into it, but it is something that, uh, uh, many, many people are interested in developing in the community, in rural settings, in, You know, to reach all the patients who are at risk. This is the number one cancer killer. So uh, uh, there are many, many people invested in making these programs work. Um, and, and so it does take some investment by local health systems to put programs in place and to contact Regional experts for help with uh, difficult situations like you described. but you know I think for for our patients we owe them uh, uh, to put this work in because you know when you really look up the data look at look at the data side by side with other screening modalities that are widely accepted like colonoscopy for example, uh, lung cancer screening is actually mu- much better. The number needed to screen is quite a bit lower than for colonoscopy and and it It's just very unclear why there's so much hesitation about lung cancer screening.
0: so So, what do you say to folks who who discuss numbers needed to treat? I mean, anytime we we talk about um, some of these interventions, we hear the number needed to treat in order to reduce mortality and and how that might affect adoption of a screening test or not. Any thoughts from both of you on that? What's the number needed to treat or number needed to scan in this situation?
1: So the number needed to screen for lung cancer using low-dose CT is about 300. Uh, 300 scans should should find you one cancer. The number of patients needed to screen by colonoscopy to find one colon cancer is 1,000. Uh, the number of uh, mammograms needed to find one breast cancer um, is depending on which age you're thinking about starting, but is 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 about 2,000. Uh, so you know, lung cancer screening is uh, remarkably better than some of these things that we uh, recommend broadly. Um, I think that. Um, so you you've
0: been you've been you've been on social media you've you've seen some you know debates and controversies on this what, what when what are the arguments that you have seen that are anti lung cancer screening and how would you respond to those and I'd like both of you to answer that because you may have seen different arguments and I'm curious to see you know how would you respond to the critique uh, that uh, says Lung cancer screening does not really uh, make a difference. It doesn't really reduce overall mortality. The number you treat is, is too high. It's uh, barely caused anything. Uh, how would you respond to that, Leisha and then Cheryl. Uh,
1: honestly, I, I I don't understand. <laughs> or people, I, that it's like a selective reading of the literature, uh, in, in my opinion. And I, I think a lot of it comes from the, baseline stigma that people have about about lung cancer and about smokers and about how that this is uh you know somehow something that they deserve because they made a poor health choice um it 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 really makes no sense uh you know i think what the thing that i see debated a lot on um social media is about this uh shared patient decision making which is uh you know kind of more of a policy um issue that I think has been one of the main barriers to why screening programs did not start up. But if you're really talking about the data and does it, um, does it benefit patients, you know, just the medical side of it, it's, it's, it was clear with NLST and I think it's even more clear after Nelson. And I think that the US Preventive Services Task Force has, re- has realized that by its broadening of the criteria this year. Uh, so I think that's an obsolete argument, but you're right. There are still people making it. What
2: I've seen is uh, really arguments uh, because of the potential for radiation exposure and the need to undergo serial CT scans. And you know why we are comfortable with exposing people to radiation. I mean, I think patients also or individuals also ask this. You know, what is my risk of radiation? I think you know this. This question really doesn't come up as much for breast cancer. I, I think, you know, breast cancer or mammograms may not be associated with that much radiation, but I would very much just undergo a CAT scan over a mammogram. Let me tell you, Charlie, uh, <laughs> any day. Uh, so, you know, these kinds of discussions don't, don't come up for other procedures. I mean, colonoscopy is way more invasive and it doesn't come up. I think you know, the risk of the procedure itself with colonoscopy, I would imagine is higher just because of the invasive nature of it. So I, I, I don't think those arguments are really valid because, you know, when we talk about radiation induced lung cancer death versus actual lung cancer death, I mean, there's a stark difference, right? And, you know, these are, there, are, same. There,
0: are there any other ongoing studies or studies remaining to a- answer that question, or this is what we have, we're done with this and it's kind of like, you know, it depends where you sit on the fence. There were no more studies. That question is answered and you have to decide whether you adopt the answer or you will disagree with the answer. Anything else we're waiting for?
1: I don't think it would be ethical to do a, a lung cancer screening study where one of the arms was no screening. I mean, I think future studies may focus on adding to. Uh, low dose CTs with, you know, blood tests or other modalities, or maybe uh, different doses of radiation. But uh, uh, you know, I think people t- people think about the uh, risks of radiation from older papers that we're talking about diagnostic CAT scans, which is much more radiation than the low dose CAT scan. The um, the Health Physics Society uh, has apparently categorized the risk of radiation from low-dose CTs to uh, uh, nominal and or non-existent. So, I mean, I think you just can't. So with low-dose CT and with other CTs. Yeah,
0: Cheru, is there any smoker that you would recommend no low-dose CT for that comes to you that has smoked? 30 pack years comes to you, and you say, you know what? You don't need Lodo City.
2: So I think, you know, currently we are sort of looking at the age, right, Uh, based on the recommendations. So, you know, somebody who's 38 and walks in, you know, we would probably have to figure out a way to get the, hopefully they don't have a 30 pack year smoking history, but if they do, you know, we have to figure out a way to do that. But no, I think if they fall within sort of the parameters that we discussed I don't think so. But I do want to pivot a little bit, Shadi, in terms of what what our unanswered questions are in this space. And you know, both Leisha and I see this on a daily basis that our clinics are filled with people who are actually never smokers, right? And we don't have a good screening modality for them and it's devastating uh, to see those patients. And I, I think the unanswered questions for us we should be focusing not on who should get screening. I think that's that's a done deal. I think Lisha and I can both agree that that's a done deal, people should get screened. But I think uh, we really need to devote our energy on early detection tests using you know, cell-free DNA or other technologies to detect cancers in younger, never smoking patients and especially lung cancer. And I think part of our uh, population of patients that we treat actually feel marginal- marginalized by these criteria and, you know, sort of reverse stigmatized that, you know, how, how we can't really apply these broad screening criteria, they would have never qualified yet they have stage four lung cancer.
1: And I think that's, that to me is the biggest question.
0: Alicia, is that you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that is a very important question. And I think um, at the same time, we have to implement the screening we have today to the people who need it and aren't getting it. Uh, the, uh, the American Cancer Society put out their report about who's getting screening. Uh, and, and there's such a wide variety across the states. You know, they did it by state. And and uh, you know, out of the population that is the age and the smoking uh, eligible, you know, states varied from uh, you know less than five percent of the eligible population was being screened to the the high, which was nothing to be proud of, uh, was in the forty percent. So like so no what, what, why, 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 why is
0: that, But why is that? I mean, I think you both agreed that this is an important screening method. We have one trial that showed reduction in overall mortality and disease-specific mortality. The other did not, but was not power to. Uh, the morbidity is very low. The radiation exposure is negligible. Um, all of these things. Why is there low adoption compared to, say, mammograms? I, I think there's probably more women who, who do... Und- I, I don't have stats, but I would imagine... It's not similar to mammogram, um, to so not, not similar quantity to women who refuse mammogram.
1: Yeah, so this is very political. So when the NLST came out with this positive uh, lung cancer specific and overall mortality benefit, uh, the next step was to wait for the um, U.S. Preventative Services Task Force recommendation. That took close to two years. They came out and gave it a B recommendation, which means that it should be covered by uh, payers. And then after that, the CMS, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services had to kind of set out the the structure for how it would reimburse. And the structure for how it would reimburse included many barriers that stood between patients and that CAT scan table. One was it required documentation of a shared decision-making visit. Two, uh, it required a doctor's order to get a CAT scan you don't need a doctor's order to get a mammogram. As a woman who's old enough to get a mammogram, I can walk into any mammogram center and say, I'd like a mammogram, and they just give it to me. I don't need a doctor's order. Um, so the, it, you need a doctor's order. Now the third thing I was going to say is blown out of my head. Uh, I
0: actually did, uh, not, did not know that you can get a mammogram without an order.
2: No women are walking in to get a mammogram. Trust me, Charlie. Unless until they need it, trust me.
0: No, but I, I, but I, no, I really didn't know that you. I thought you need an order. I didn't. No, but know but you can walk in and get.
1: You can have a, you know. So there are there are neighborhoods where people don't see doctors and people don't have access to medical care. And you can put a mammogram into a, a, a Mack truck and drive around a mobile I mammogram see. center and say, "Come get your mammogram," and people can come. You cannot do that. Okay. With a CAT scan, because uh, you need a doctor's order, unless you have a program that has a doctor there who can do the order. So it's it's just an unnecessary hurdle. Uh, oh, and the third uh, the third structural barrier was that uh, all the data from the screening had to be deposited into a, uh, a national database. So your hospital couldn't get reimbursed unless you were, unless you had the infrastructure to participate in this national database. So many hospital systems looked at this list of criteria and said, you know what? We're not gonna start (laughs) this program. Uh, This seems really complicated. And so most hospitals opted not to start a program. And that's why most people aren't screened. And that, that is slowly changing, but it's taken so long.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, let's finish with a couple of things. Um, first, I mean, it's been 10 years. What have we learned over the past 10 years? And um, I mean, we still, we still uh, know that there are many who um, thought leaders and, you know, again, uh, physicians who oppose lung cancer screening with the idea that it's really not helping patients. So I'd like both of you to comment on that and then we'll do concluding remarks. Charu.
2: So I think a lot has changed in ten years. To your point, I think um, we have come a really long way in the way we treat lung cancer. You know, this is reflective of, reflected in the reports from the. Um, you know overall mortality uh, that has you know really uh, demonstrated significant decline in the years 2016 17 and you know continues to do so lung cancer incidence has also gone down which is very uh, reassuring we we are seeing reduction in in smoking rates Um, I I think uh, we are seeing historic five-year survival rates for stage four lung cancer. Uh, You know, every time a five-year update comes out on an immunotherapy trial, those numbers keep getting better. I mean, we do have targeted therapies, but even those patients who don't get targeted therapy, we are doing better every year. And I think that one of the areas where we are not actually doing better is early detection. Um, And, you know, while the programs are hard to implement, I think it's also important to recognize that we can't just screen. We also have to do behavioral intervention. We have to couple these with smoking cessation programs and preventing teens and adolescents from uh, smoking. You know, it used to be smoking earlier, now it's vaping. And I think a lot of efforts are being... Sort of, you know, channeled into that direction of preventing vaping-induced lung cancer, lung lung damage, and you know, we don't even know what the long-term effects of vaping would would be.
0: Are there data, by the way, on smoking marijuana and uh, lung cancer? People who don't smoke tobacco and they smoke marijuana. No.
1: And not not very formal data. No.
0: Okay, I actually do think we're going to see increased uh, incidence of smoking uh, pot, frankly, because. It's being legalized on the federal level. So I, I suspect um, that's going to happen. That's your next epidemiologic study, Lisha. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think that. Um... It's been helpful to have skeptics who lay out the arguments against because some of the newest papers are kind of really aimed at debunking these arguments. And so, you know, the data was always there, it was hidden in the NLST, it was hidden in the Nelson trial, and follow up papers are now coming out showing. Uh, that this isn't actually true so for an example in 2019 there was a follow-up long-term follow-up study of the nLst that was published trying to get at this criticism of overdiagnosis are we taking out cancers uh, in patients and that, that would never have affected them and uh, while this is a a big phenomenon in other cancers like prostate comes to mind that, you know, there could be such a thing as overdiagnosis. I think it's much less clear in lung cancer that such a thing exists. And, and what they showed with the long-term data is that uh, there were just as many cancers diagnosed ultimately in the placebo group or the chest X-ray group. Um, it just in the, in the CAT scan group over time. So it was the CAT scans were helping to, Find them earlier, uh, but it didn't look like there was an overdiagnosis was the conclusion of these authors. Um, so I, I think the the critiques have been helpful to really get us all to think about it and to probe the data that we have, I think the data that we have is pretty extensive and powerful. Uh, so the next, you know, now it's up to us to get to get it done and to figure out how to screen those who aren't smokers, as, as Charo points out, it's a huge problem, a separate problem.
0: Well. Um... Uh, we're, we're taping this for the record on april 9 2021 and it's friday afternoon so i and you are both on the east coast so i am forever grateful that we are spending some time on friday late friday to to tape this episode for listeners and i promise you this is going to be very helpful for a lot of folks who are trying to just to um to understand this topic so before i'll let you go and uh enjoy the weekend and And uh, drinks are coming. They're on the way, Charu. Don't worry. They're just, you know, anytime you'll have a knock on the door. Final thoughts, uh, Charu first and Alicia, and then I'll let you be.
2: Well, I learned so much today. I think this has been a really engaging discussion. And again, Shadi, thank you for having me on the show.
1: Yes, yeah, thank you. It was great talking about this with you guys, and I hope we can do it again, and I hope we've inspired some people to become uh, screening advocates and lend their voice to this, uh, to this discussion.
0: If we've inspired people to the opposite, then we are, we're in trouble. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, then. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast, and thank you for supporting this episode and prior episodes. You've just listened to a lung cancer screening episode on Healthcare Unfiltered with Drs. Leisha Sequist and Sharu Agrawal. You can let me know, please, how well I'm doing or how bad. That's okay. I mean, you can by direct messaging me on Twitter at Shadi Nabhan, that's at C-H-A-D-I-N-A-B-H-A-N, or by emailing me at Shadi o at Outlook.com. You can visit my website at www.chadinabhan.com and direct message me there and let me know any ideas or opinions about this podcast. I would love to incorporate your suggestions in everything that I'm doing. Your feedback is very valuable, very important to me. And I promise that I will do my best to accommodate all of the inquiries and requests. Before I let you go, I would like to leave you with a quote from Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill, by the way, is a good friend of the show. He once said, success is not final, failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. Until next time, take care.